It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. On Sunday night, former President Trump gave the keynote speech at CPAC, where he told attendees, We're not starting new parties. We have the Republican Party. It's going to unite and be stronger than ever before. I am not starting a new party. In his speech, he not only pledged he would campaign for GOP candidates in the 2022 midterms, but he teased the possibility of a 2024 presidential run. With your help, we will take back the House, we will win the Senate, and then a Republican president will make a triumphant return to the White House. And I wonder who that will be. Meanwhile, over the weekend, the House passed President Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus package for COVID, setting the stage for days of debate in the Senate, where Democratic unity will face one of its first major tests. For those stories and more, we'll bring in our all-star panel political editor at the National Journal, Josh Kraschauer, Washington Post columnist, AEI resident fellow, Mark Thiessen, and Democratic strategist and syndicated talk radio host, Leslie Marshall. All right, let's go backwards first to um, President Trump, Mark, and that speech that, you know, I, I guess it went about an hour, maybe a little bit longer. And he hit some themes, uh, taking, you know, punches at the, the Biden policy on immigration and, and schools uh, in COVID, getting getting kids back to school, uh, but obviously teased the possibility of a presidential run. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it was a very disciplined uh, speech, mostly focused on the future, which is good. Uh, he didn't mention Liz Cheney until an hour and fifteen minutes in, so uh, <laughs> that that's that's a uh, that's a huge accomplishment. Uh, I mean, the, the big news is that he said he's not starting a new party, and why would he start a new party? He, the Republican Party is his. I think this the said the straw poll at CPAC had ninety seven percent approval for him, ninety five percent said that they wanted the Republican Party to advance Trump's policies and agenda. But even at CPAC, so these are his most loyal supporters, when asked, if Trump were running in 2024, would you support, who would you support as the nominee? Only 55% said Trump. That's a majority, but barely a majority. So 45% think somebody else should carry the banner of Trumpism into the next election. That's not a repudiation of Trump personally, I think. I just think that a lot of his support, even his most fervent supporters, despite their love of him, uh, think he lost a winnable election and did a lot of damage to his brand and that maybe we need somebody else to carry the banner going forward. Yeah. January 6th obviously changed a lot and you just don't know how much. And even in his most fervent supporters at CPAC, I will say, Josh, that CPAC straw polls have a pretty poor history of uh, presidential predictors. 
Ron Paul never made it to the presidency. Um, but it does give you a sense of, of he's going to be a party mover and shaker. It does seem that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is on the rise. Yeah, Ron DeSantis is certainly one of the Republicans to watch. But I, I was struck, like Mark was, that you know Trump has basically taken over the, the party, even if he, he doesn't run for president again. Uh, one of the questions on the straw polls were, were, what was the most important issues that you want the Republican Party to focus on? And in the top three were, or top three or four, were election integrity, trade, immigration. I mean, these were the issues that first propelled Donald Trump to, to the presidency in 2016. It's a whole lot of, whole different set of issues than you hear a lot of more more establishment-minded Republicans talking about these days. So, you know, Trump has, has, has changed the party in his own image, whether he runs or not. Um, I mean, I think the big question is, in the short term, like, can candidates that are aligned with Trump or that, that, that are in the Trump wing of the party, can they win in some of these very critical battleground races, whether it's in Pennsylvania for the Senate or, you know, I, I heard um, Rick, Rick Rennell speak and tease out a possible governor's run in California. Yeah, you know, just someone who's, who's a Trump-aligned candidate in, in the recall, if there's a recall election in California, is probably not going to wear very well with, with the electorate. So I think they're... they're the movement, the party is headed in a Trumpian direction, but I still have questions sort of about the strategy and the, and the political tactics that this former president Leslie, has to take. Leslie, from a Democratic perspective, uh, do Democrats look at Donald Trump and see, you know, like he's a, a stake in the lion's den, like it's, it's a great thing for them uh, politically that he hangs around? Or do they sense that he's again tapping into white working class voters and maybe even some union guys and women with that messaging? You know, there's a bit of both. I know Senator, uh, Senator Cassidy is certainly not a Democrat, but I would agree with him when he said, uh, and I'm one of those Democrats that think that, that Trump can actually hurt the Republican Party, further fragment to, and, and help Democrats. When he said if Trump is going to be you know, helping and leading the fray in 2022 and 2024, Republicans will lose. Look, Brett, the reality is right now, you know, we're not far from not just January 6th, but we're not far from the last general election or the last four years. In 2024, we will be. There'll be more distance. And even though CPAC isn't the straw poll that we want to, you know, go to Vegas and put money down on the table with, showing, you know, to Mark's point, Mark, stop stealing my talking points, just joking, uh, the 55% at <laughs> The 55% at CPAC. If you have 55% right now at CPAC, what's going to happen between now and then? People will be vaccinated. COVID will be behind us. Kids will be back at school. People will be back at work. Hopefully things will be much more positive uh, in the next presidential election than now. So I would say, quite frankly, because there are so many still like Reagan Republicans, even though Trump is taking over the party, they clearly want a new face with maybe Trump's agenda, but I'm just not sure how strong that staying power will be uh, for the next four years. Yeah, I'm not saying he's not going to be a kingmaker or a queenmaker. I'm just saying I, I don't know if he's going to actually run. I mean, I, I, I think that that's really up in the air. Mark? Just simply that I, it, if he runs, it's his nomination. He, uh, he, will, he will have it and, and no one will challenge it. Because if you look at all the other candidates that came in on that poll. So Ron DeSantis had 43% if Trump doesn't run. Christy Noem had 11. Uh, Mike Pompeo got seven. I mean, Donald Trump Jr. got, uh, I think, 8%. I mean, everybody's pro-Trump. And so, again, it's not the be-all and end-all, but most of the people, the most likely nominee of, of the party, if it's not Trump, is somebody who is closely aligned with Trump, 
somebody, a governor or a, or a senator or somebody who's close to him. And if Trump's in the race, they're not going to run because they're not going to challenge Trump. So it's really Trump's decision whether he wants the nomination or not. It's his if he gets if he wants it. Yeah, and he freezes the field by until he makes that decision. Um, yes. The $1.9 trillion stimulus package, more and more focus about what's in there, Josh. And there are some Democrats saying that they're uncomfortable with it. There are some projects in there, a bridge from to Buffalo, New York, uh, to Canada. There's a, a train in Nancy Pelosi's district. Um, there's funding for schools that doesn't kick in until 2022. Uh, and a lot of money for state and local governments. Um, where do you think this comes out? Well, I, I was struck by the fact that the House vote on Friday was pretty partisan, but the two defectors were from the Democratic Party. The two two Democrats, one in a Trump district, one in a Biden district, ultimately thought it was too too expensive and it had a lot of that wasteful spending <laughs> that you're talking about. Um, I mean, that that the Republican Party has been united, and even some of these anti-Trump Republican lawmakers like Adam Kinzinger and Mitt Romney, uh, Liz Cheney, have been fully against Biden's uh, proposal, thinks uh, it, it hasn't been bipartisan and has a lot of wasteful spending in it. So, you know, I, I would have expected the first, you know, big Biden legislative package to try to build some degree of bipartisanship, bipartisan support, but the White House didn't want to compromise, didn't want to waste any time in getting this thing passed. And it's going to be a very partisan vote with the only uh, defectors being on his own, being within his own party. Leslie, I guess the tough selling point is the emergent part of it. You know, Democrats saying it's an emergency to get this, this in uh, and this COVID relief, but you look inside the package and there's not the sense of what's in there that's emergent. I mean, the funding for schools, as I mentioned, is 2022. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different stuff in there that, you know, museums and art places. And I mean, as you look into the weeds, as often happens in a bill, uh, it gets uglier and uglier. And the question is, is it so ugly that that lawmakers won't pass it? It's a very good point that you raised. Look, I have always said, whether it's this, you know, and quite frankly, whether a Democrat or Republican is putting a, a package forth, when you have something like this, it needs to be clean and needs to be focused on the specific school reopenings, uh, money to state and local government for specific COVID uh, relief uh, and individuals and families and business owners. And that is the emergent side uh, of this legislation. Certainly, there is not an emergency to have a bill, uh, a bridge built uh, between Buffalo in Canada or any train system in Northern California and San Francisco in Speaker Pelosi's district. And that's a problem. But you know what? When you look at the polls, Brett, the majority of Americans want this because they don't look at the fine print. They look at, I'm getting this much money. I need it. I've been waiting. I've been hurting uh, for those business owners uh, and small business owners. And uh, in addition to that, for people that are just struggling right now, whether to pay their rent or their mortgage and put food on the table, make a car payment, um, that's what they are thinking about. And I think that's why this has so much support when you look at the polls, uh, not just uh, along party lines among the people, among the voters. Yeah, but interesting thing you said, Leslie, is that they don't know what's in it. I mean, it's almost, you know, they don't. And they see the headline about $1,400 checks, which originally were 2000 we should note. But they see that and they see their bank account and they see, you know, making ends meet. Mark, this is how Washington works, but it's, it seems like there could have been a better way on his first effort, the president's, at a bipartisan piece of legislation. 
well, there was a better way. I mean, the Democrats keep saying, you know, well, this recon- everybody does reconciliation. The Republicans did tax reform under a budget reconciliation. Well, the reason they did bu- tax reform under budget reconciliation is because 10 Democrats didn't offer to work with them on tax reform. Joe Biden had 10 Republicans come to him and offer him a bipartisan filibuster-proof majority to do a smaller, more targeted bill. And he basically said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not interested. I want to ram through my $1.9 trillion bill with Democratic votes. And that's what they're doing. So they rejected by it's not just that he didn't try. He rejected a bipartisan offer. And, you know, the Wall Street Journal calculated that only about 800 billion of this 1.9 trillion is actually directly related to COVID. So, you know, the idea that the American people are clamoring for a bridge to Canada or a, or a train, uh, train track to, uh, to Silicon Valley is just not true. And a lot of this aid, even the checks, they're not targeted to people who are, you know, making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Families uh, with hundreds of thousands of dollars in income are, are going to get checks. They don't need it. People, I think Republicans would be willing to work with Biden on a bipartisan, much smaller, targeted, bipartisan, COVID-specific legislation. Or if he really wanted a big number, he should do, he, there's support for infrastructure, for an infrastructure bill. Uh, that, uh, that uh, you know, there, there's bipartisan support for uh, up to a trillion dollars in infrastructure. Why not go to the back to those 10 Senate Republicans and say, OK, but let's do an infrastructure bill, too. And then you get your number. There's lots of ways to do this in a bipartisan way. He just doesn't want to. Yeah. Josh, the other thing I noticed about the former president's speech on Sunday was that there was a lot of time spent on immigration. Almost, I think, more time than he spent talking about immigration on the campaign trail in 2020. Talked about a little bit, but nothing like he did in that CPAC speech, which seems to me like an indication that Republicans see real vulnerability on the Biden immigration policies. Yeah, it's another example of how I think Biden is misreading the politics of the moment. There, there is there, there, there's the makings of a bipartisan deal along the lines of what Trump was uh, presented with a few years ago in you know giving up half the citizenship for the dreamers, the kids of. Uh, illegal immigrants in the country currently in exchange for some border security provisions that that could get some some degree of bipartisan support. Instead, he gave pretty much everything to to the most liberal immigration activists as part of his opening pitch. And there are a lot of Democrats that, frankly, didn't want Biden to really talk about immigration in these first few months. I mean, they they realized that the pandemic and the economy are going to be the only two issues that voters care about. And any distractions on immigration are unwelcome. Uh, and, and furthermore, you know, when you're going too far to the left on the issue, it certainly gives Republicans uh, an issue to really grab upon and oppose and, and, and puts the, uh, the Biden administration in a tough spot because there really isn't uh, the chance of any passage what he introduced. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a political pickle. Trump exploited it with his uh, opening remarks. I think those those had Stephen Miller's fingerprints all over it. And I, I think there's a risk that Trump can go too far to the right on some of the immigration stuff. But you know, as, as the opposition party, Republicans certainly have an opportunity to exploit where, where the Biden administration has come. I just think it was pretty interesting to listen to that section. You know, he, he went from immigration where he said kids of illegal immigrants are getting taught at the border and we can't get our kids back to school. Uh, it was just a kind of an interesting rhetorical effort there. Leslie, um, you know, reading the accounts of some of the senators, the Republicans who went to the Oval Office to meet with President Biden on that stimulus potential deal that kind of never came to be um, at, that Mark mentioned, they described Biden start throwing things out and then his advisors or aides like shaking their head 
And then he says, no, we can't do that. And kind of they move on, I guess. And if that's accurate, the question is, do you think that the aides around President Biden are letting Biden be Biden? No, I do. I, I think with any leadership, whether, you know, again, Democrat or Republican, whether it was Trump or Biden or any other Democrat or Republican former president, you do have people there to rein you in uh, on specific issues, maybe like a wife would to a husband or a husband to a wife kicking you under the table if it's like, OK, no, don't go there. Um, and, and I think that's normal. I don't think that they're preventing him from being Biden. I think maybe they're signaling that, you know, d- don't don't build that bridge too far with this group of 10 sitting in the room. Yeah. I mean, Mark, I, I guess his inclination in his past as a senator, at least, maybe not as a vice president, but as a senator was to negotiate. And it, it just we haven't seen it as of yet. No, we haven't. It, quite, quite the opposite. It was rejected. I mean, I don't understand how you get offered a bipartisan filibuster proof majority and just don't even try. Right. I mean, it's not like they, he said, well, let's give this a shot and see if we can come to a deal and maybe we could raise them out. I'll come down a little bit. You come up a little bit. We'll see if we can come somewhere in the middle. It was like, no, sorry. Nice meeting with you. I, I mean, that's bipartisanship isn't not insulting each other. Bipartisanship and unity is is working together and compromising. And you give up something. I give up something. We try to come together and there's just zero effort. So, uh, you know, the, what what's happening here is, look, the pandemic is ending. Uh, we just got our third vaccine. A one-shot vaccine that's going to be available all over the country soon. Uh, the cases are dropping dramatically. Uh, the, 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 the worst of the pandemic may really be in our rearview mirror. And so the Democrats see their chances of passing this major $1.9 trillion bill, which is, has a trillion dollars of it as payoffs to their different constituencies that have nothing to do with COVID, uh, slipping away. They don't want to do a seven or eight hundred or nine hundred billion dollar compromise with Republicans and then come back and see if we need more in a few months because they know they won't get it because if everyone will say, oh, we're fine, we're, 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 we're on the way to recovery. So they see their chance slipping away and they don't want to waste the opportunity by trying to be bipartisan. We'll hear what they have to say after this. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know... You're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. 
Democrats will say, Leslie, I think this is fair too, that they went around the block on Obamacare and they felt like every time they bent over to negotiate that they didn't get any comeback from Republicans, that, that they were just left at the altar, essentially. Well, absolutely. One of the biggest complaints, even among some Republicans, it's if you're going to say Affordable Care Act is awful, Affordable Care Act is, um, you know, illegal, unconstitutional and fight and fight and fight to get rid of Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act. But you don't have an alternative and you don't have an alternative plan. And Democrats were asking for that, are asking for some uh, sending some olive branches over to the other side uh, back when Obama was president. And they were trying to come to some kind of bipartisan agreement. To Mark's point, I do want to point out that Joe Biden just became president and started his presidency in January. And to say that he's not working in a bipartisan manner because on this one piece, first piece, even though very important piece of legislation uh, that he's not going, you know, by working in a bipartisan manner doesn't mean agreeing every time the other party comes in the room. And speaking of, the other party's going to be in the room a lot more. If you see, he's going to, to resume those bipartisan meetings going forward. And if you look at presidents who have, whether Democrat or Republican, worked with the opposing party uh, in the House, worked with the opposing party in the Senate. They didn't come to an agreement 100% of the time, but they were able to work together and pass legislation in a bipartisan manner. Yeah. I'm well, confident Joe Biden will do that going at forward. At least, you know, he's listening, definitely. But if you look at this COVID bill so far, and let's say immigration, which is coming down the pike, there's no indication, Leslie, that there's this major outreach about there's, in fact, the proposal doesn't have any hat tip towards the security concerns on the border that Republicans have. True. Again, not every piece of legislation is the president and party in power going to say, you know, OK, we're going to compromise or, or we're willing to compromise to this point. But there's our line in the sand. And Joe Biden, with both of these issues and the Democrats, clearly have a line in the sand. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean there won't be bipartisan uh, support for future legislation. Leslie, I love you, but but there, what's the what's the bipartisan initiative? Where's one? There's nothing. Bipartisanship isn't be is having isn't having a nice comfy chair in the room while the other team rams its agenda through on a party line vote. Bipartisanship means you give something, I give something, I compromise, I give you some of your priorities, you give me some of your, you you give up some of your priorities and give me some of mine. There's none of that going on. So just it's nice that Joe Biden doesn't hate Republicans. That's a pretty low bar for us to get through, where we, that we can uh, that we can talk to each other without hating each other. But that's it's better. But it's not it's not bipartisanship at all. It's not unity. Yeah. Well, it's 100% bipartisanship, but you, you can't 100% of the time. I mean, if you if you negotiate deals, zero. you're not going to get a deal and negotiate 100% of the time. But if you cut a few good deals, then you have negotiated. And in this situation, you can work in a bipartisan manner, even if you don't pass two or the first two big pieces of legislation along bipartisan lines. You only have so much time, Josh. And we've as crazy as it is, we're coming up to 2022. Uh, and big elections and really narrow majorities. So you don't have too many bites at the apple before you kind of set a stage that people are going to be campaigning off of. Yeah, well, here's the problem with, I think, how the Biden administration has approached the, the politics right now, which is they only have 50 Senate seats, Democratic Senate seats. Obama had 59 to 60. So Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are going to decide the success of, of the agenda. And a lot of and, and certainly Manchin has a lot of uh, skepticism towards a lot of the more ambitious progressive proposals. 
I think if, if the Biden administration was a little less eager to get everything done in the first year, they could sort of build back better politically, look at the Republican Party's <laughs> divisions in 2022 and try to get that extra Senate seat or two Senate seats to give them the wiggle room they need to pass their priorities. But they're going to not, they don't just have to deal with the Republicans unified in opposition, but they're going to have to deal with Manchin and Cinema and perhaps a few other more moderate senators. Well, I, I think they, they, they kind of are being beholden to the progressive side of the party without realizing they have their own internal limitations within, within their own caucus. It brings us full circle back to Donald Trump, because it seems like Democrats' plan is to ride Donald Trump and the opposition to him in 2022. At least it looks like that now, Leslie. Yeah, well, right now it looks like a good plan. Of course, things could change. They're going to take advantage, Democrats, of the fragmentation in the Republican Party and push uh, with that fragmentation. And yet, look, you have thousands of people after January 6th that said they were no longer Republicans and, and, and certainly thousands of voters and a number of elected officials. And you are hearing uh, elected officials, you know, pushing back and, and very concerned with what they see happening to the former more moderate Republican Party, if you will, a Reagan Republican Party, if you will. And uh, that's a vulnerability. And obviously, because Republicans are Democrats opponents, they are going to take advantage of that vulnerability. It's been successful for them, as it has been for Republicans on the opposite side of this game, if you will, political game in the past. And that's what Democrats will do uh, going forward. I quite frankly think 2022 is actually going to be a very good year for Democrats. I really do. Mark, last word. I mean, he, he uh, is controversial and January 6th did change things, but that speech indicated that he can hit some notes that really strike across party lines and hit common sense uh, to middle America. Very much so. Look, the last election was not a rejection of Trumpism. Um, in fact, uh, majorities of the American people said they agreed with Trump on the issues. In fact, a number of people, it's millions of people who said they agreed with Trump on the issues didn't vote for him. It wasn't a rejection of Trumpism. It was a rejection of Trump and his behavior. So if you separate Trumpism from Trump and you have a candidate like Ron DeSantis or somebody uh, or Mike Pompeo or somebody who is closely associated with Trump, who, who believes in the same things, uh, but doesn't have the uh, personal uh, characteristics of the president of picking Twitter fights all the time and fighting with reporters and doing all the things that graded on the American people, then that's a pretty powerful message to carry into the next election. It's just a question of whether Trump allows the Republican Party to do that or not. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, have a great one. Here's a little presidential trivia for you. On March 4th, 1830, the sixth president of the United States, John Quincy Adams, returned to Congress as a representative from Massachusetts after serving as president. He became the first ex-president to return to the House, went on to serve eight consecutive terms as United States representative. Don't know if that's Donald Trump's plan or not. That'll do it for us this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Josh and Mark and Leslie, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.